0: Hi y'all. Welcome to another episode of Chats in the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, your host and owner of the blog cabin. Today, I'm chatting with author Gail Priest. Now, this is like a full circle interview for me. I started blogging at adventuresoffrugalmom.com in 2011. In 2013, Gail's first book in her trilogy, Annie Crowe Null, came out and I reviewed it. And only recently did she contact me and ask me, because she's trying to learn more about marketing, as most authors now need to market themselves as well, to ask if she could use my review as part of her marketing page uh, for Amazon. I absolutely totally agreed. And from that her reaching out to me, I in turn asked her to come on the show. This is a super fun interview. You learn a lot about her background in acting, her background in theater, how she first started writing plays, just about anything you want to know about writing, as well as she gives credit to the people that have helped her along the way, how she got books published, and everything else. So, you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. It's kind of like it's full circle. I actually reviewed Gail's book in 2013 and that's right after I first started blogging on my blog Adventures of Frugal Mom and now today she's joining me on Chats from the Blog Cabin. Welcome Gail.
1: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well I'm a an author, uh, playwright, teacher, college professor, actor, director. I really enjoy the creative arts and um, I find that all of the things that I've worked on blend together and support each other. And that's worked out really well for me.
0: So what made you want to start writing books?
1: Well, first, I started writing plays because I was an actor and a director. And I realized that um, I had stories to tell. And at first, I was putting them on stage. And I wrote two plays. Well, actually, three. But one, I don't count because I never did anything with it. It's hidden in a drawer somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Never got to the finished product. But um, then my husband and I started renting a cottage on the eastern shore in Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay at the headwaters. And it was a community of cottages. So I started watching people. I mean, as an actor, you're a people watcher, you're always looking for characters and as a writer. And the story that started coming to me was a novel. So I had to figure out how to do that because my strong suits dialogue. But I studied and kept working and finished the first book uh, the one that you reviewed back in 2013—that mm-hmm. was when it was first published by Hasten Publishing—and so that's Annie Crowe Knoll's *Sunrise*. That's the first book in the trilogy, and um, the whole thing takes place on uh, the Chesapeake in a community of cottages similar to the ones we were we were renting, and we rented for almost 20 years. We were there a long time, every every year. And it's beautiful, I I just love the area, and um, it very much inspired my work. And then I started working on the second book, and then later the third book, and then I was asked to write a collection of short stories that take place in different towns on the Eastern Shore. So that that part of my writing has been very influenced by the Chesapeake Bay.
0: Are you from around the Chesapeake Bay area?
1: Not originally, no, I'm from South Jersey, uh, spent a lot of time at the South Jersey beaches and bays. But my husband's cousins were renting a cottage in this group of cottages. And they, the first season that they were there, they invited us to join them. And then we got a cottage of our own. And I fell in love with the Eastern Shore.
0: Yeah, something about yeah. the Eastern Shore is just amazing. I mean, it's I just actually came back from a little town in North Carolina, Swansboro, Um, a friend of ours, her parents loaned us the cottage and just something by the water is just so inspiring for sure.
1: It is. It's so relaxing. Nature is so beautiful. That sounds like a great spot.
0: It was a great spot. I was able to get a lot of devotions done and everything else. And it's really funny was the devotion on the last day was sit still in silence. And I'm like, how perfect is this for it to be today, sitting on the pier, listening to the water and listening mm-hmm. to everything God created. So that's just amazing. And and I saw that post. I
1: saw a couple of posts from that weekend and I thought she's in a great spot.
0: Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm very grateful for um, my friend's parents for allowing us to use it this weekend because it was just an amazing spot. And it kind of reminds me a little bit about of the setting of Annie Kroll. That's the reason why I was like coming back and talking about that because it did remind me a lot. I I thought it did, too, from your pictures. I thought, that looks a lot like the knoll. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I actually had to go back and look and see when I'd actually reviewed this book because I was like, I remember it, but I don't remember when I did it. I thought it was later on, but I didn't realize it was early in my blogging career. Was that the very first book that you've written? Yes. That was my wow. first full novel. Mm-hmm. And you just knocked it out of the park with your first novel.
1: Oh, you're a sweetheart. It took about 10 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it was not a, a fast write at all
1: because I, mean, I was really learning.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, theater prepared me a great deal for writing because of character development and understanding how a plot needs to have an arc and dialogue and how you need to move the plot forward with the dialogue. But I had to still learn a lot, and especially description, how to work that in and how to work in um, background information without dumping information in a big pile, just kind of filtering it in. So I I had some wonderful mentors. You know um, Todrick Candle.
0: Yes. Yes. She's
1: been a big mentor to me.
0: Yeah. Actually, we were supposed to meet up because she was coming to an event in, like, on the just on the North Carolina South Carolina border, and was right before COVID hit. She was going to come, and then I was going to go down there. We were going to have dinner because we'd never met in person. And but COVID hit, and everything got canceled.
1: Oh, yeah, she's a lovely, lovely woman. And I actually taught her daughter when I was teaching at a performing arts program at a high school level, and. Her oldest daughter, Devin, was in my senior class, my first senior class in that district. And um, Devin was a theater major. And I really clicked with her. And Tadra um, felt that I had really helped her daughter. And she sent me this beautiful email at the end of this, the year. It was right before they moved to Florida. And she hadn't even started writing yet. Tadra hadn't. And when she went to Florida, that was when everything shifted and she she became this fabulous writer. And um, she got in touch with me because she still had family up in the South Jersey area and she was coming up to visit and she wanted to come and talk to my then senior class about the creative process and about writing and to share some information about her books. So I said, oh, please come visit because we had stayed in touch in a loose sort of way so I took her to lunch that day after she talked to my class, and um, I said, "So, I've written a novel," <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "Wow, tell me all about it." So I told her all about it, and um, she said, "Oh, I want to help with this. I want to help uh, you get started." So I really owe it all to, talk to her.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that time she was really big helping Mandy Stevens with promotional book tours, right? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mandy's a sweetie, too. So many lovely people. And so they they really, Mandy and, and tadra gave birth to the first book. Uh, I never would have gotten this done without them. And um, I, I'm so appreciative to them for that. And then they helped me with the third book, too. And this one's about the sun, mostly. I mean, Annie grows throughout the entire trilogy. She's nine years old to a young married woman in her 20s in the first book, maybe her early 30s. Then this is when she is middle-aged. And then this is when she's a grandmother, is the last book, um, which is really primarily about the granddaughters. But Annie is always key in mentoring and, and helping her family. She holds everybody together. And as she grows and processes, she becomes kind of like a wise, from, if you will, you know by the end. And uh, Tadra, although she and Mandy weren't publishing by the time the last book came out, Tadra still mentored me with this, and um, so did Olivia Harden. She was she was a big help. Olivia really. Uh, she helped me with the cover and everything, so it would match the feel of the other ones. So that's that
0: journey. Okay, we have a question from. Uh... Viewer it says I logged in late. Have you shared the titles of her books yet? And I have not. So would you like to go ahead and share the titles of your book scale?
1: Sure. And I see that's Sandy, right? Hi Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> so the first book um in the trilogy is Annie Crow, Noel Sunrise. I've got to get centered right. There we go. There we go. Um and these are available obviously in paperback, but also as ebooks, and it's also available as a collection. Um, you can buy all three ebooks at once, and I send all that to Melissa. She has my links. The second one is Sunset, and the third one, I love this cover, <laughs> is Moonrise. So that's the trilogy. And then my collection of short stories is called Eastern Shore Shorts, which I thought was very cute. And um, Cat and Mouse Press pro- approached me after they read the Annie Cromwell books and asked me to do, to do this. So I had never, um, been asked to write something specific and that was very exciting and it was a lot of fun. So we picked all different towns. We have stories set in, um, Berlin, Maryland, Cambridge, uh, Chestertown, Chincoteague, Virginia, Easton, Rock Hall, Salisbury, St. Michael's and Tillman's Island. And, um, we submitted this to the International Book Awards, and it was a finalist in the short story uh, category. So I was really happy about that. And Moonrise, I submitted that to the Kindle uh, Book Awards, and it was a semi finalist in 2017.
0: And they are all on Kindle. I mean, all on Amazon, correct?
1: They're all on Amazon. Uh, this book is only available as a paperback because that's how Count and Practice talk much gail cat and mouse press um they don't do ebooks hardly at all they, they want to focus mostly on physical books and they they sell a lot in independent bookstores which is very cool but that is available on amazon yes
0: most of the comments that we're getting right now are saying they love your titles and the photos of your books Aww. um Lisa wrote, that's encouraging for those of us who still have unfinished manuscripts. Glad you moved forward in your writing. And I'm glad, too, because, folks, you need to read these books. They're very heartwarming books. Yeah, I I
1: like, you know, I like dramatic, sad stories. I mean, some of my favorite plays are tragedies. But I don't know. Sometimes we just need a break. And certainly there's a lot of meat and some difficult challenges for these characters, but I tend to bring it up by the end. I, I don't want it to end, you know, sadly, because we need to be lifted up and feel encouraged, especially now, but anytime.
0: <laughs> so where do you, we've already talked about finding your inspiration on the Eastern shore. Where else do you find your inspiration for your books? People. Um, I, I love to
1: watch people and even people that I know little elements about their personality or the way they move or or a saying they might have that's very typical of them. Things like that. I'll borrow those. And names. I love names. Like Packard Marlborough, who's one of my favorite characters ever. And he's in the Cromwell Trilogy. His name I picked up along the way from, from an, a former uh, boat builder whose name was Marlborough Packard. And then I just flipped it and made it Packard. Um, so I really love names too. And every once in a while, I will just get an unusual idea and that will lead to a story. So my current novel that I am right now working on finding an agent for is called Soul Dancing. And It's about a woman in her 90s who passes away and can't go forward. Um, Here, I'll read you the little blurb here so it'll be cleaner. Imagine yourself at 90 years old defying death to be suddenly transported into a 20-year-old's body at the brink of giving birth. Now imagine yourself falling in love with a 90-year-old woman inside a 20-year-old's body. These are the dilemmas at at the heart of soul dancing. My women's fiction novel with a paranormal twist about forgiveness and second chances. Um, This was an idea that just came to me years ago and I had to wait because I had to finish the trilogy and then I got interrupted with Eastern Shore shorts. So I put this on the back burner even though it was partially written. Um, This concept of of having a second chance in somebody else's Mm -hmm. body um, just fascinated me, and mm-hmm. and it just came to me one day. I thought, you know, and who, who does she truly belong with? Her her elderly husband, who she loves, of course, or the young man who is the uncle and surrogate father of the baby that she births when she ends up in the twenty-year-old's body. So this this is not Eastern Shore at all. <laughs> um, I did decide that. Part of the novel would take place in Rehoboth Beach down in Delaware because I wanted to continue with my platform of nature and birding and, you know, the healing power of nature and the beauty of of the natural world. But some of it takes place up in Philadelphia because it just needed to be near big hospitals for some of this. And, you know, a city and I wanted the young man to be a teacher um, so I've split the times, part part of the time they're up in the Philadelphia area, which is where I live, right outside Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and then part of the time they're at the beach. Um, the beach house is is their escape, and so I still get that stuff, the birding and all that good stuff in. Um, but this, this didn't come from a person or a place, it just came as an idea. I don't know, a like gift. <laughs>
0: I'm grateful. Yeah, we have a question from Sandy. It says, how long you've been writing and published your work?
1: So I started writing plays, which I would say is my first serious writing. You know, we all write poetry and songs and little things when we're kids in high school and college. And I certainly did go through those phases. But it wasn't until I was in my 40s um, that I started being a writer. Uh, as something I was pursuing and and working on seriously, and it started with a play, and it was after my mother passed away, so it was semi-autobiographical. I took a little bit of my life and her house and our relationship, and then it, you know, became something quite different. Um, and that's called Ava's Piano. My mother was a piano teacher, but it was produced out in Del down out in um. Oklahoma, where was it? They flew me out too, which was so sweet. Dayton, Dayton, no, Dayton, Ohio. Where were we? We were Dayton, Ohio, forgive me, (laughs) senior moment. Anyway, um, they produced the show and, and, and I walked in and saw the set and I had described the set, you know, in the stage directions, but, you know, you could really interpret that a lot of different ways. Honestly, it looked just like my mother's living room. I couldn't believe it. I just was blown away. It was so perfect. And then I wrote another play, and then I turned it into a screenplay, and then we ended up at the Knoll, and that's when I started writing the trilogy. So that first book was published in 2013, so that's when I actually started being published. But I had been writing for a good decade before
0: that. Yeah, Sandy has a follow-up comment for that. She said, that's why I asked. It seems writing often is a midlife adventure.
1: (laughs) I think so. Yeah. I wonder why Sandy feels that way. If she wants to comment more, I'm interested to hear.
0: I will say, I know she's just published her own book a couple of, um, about a year or so ago, her first book. And now she's on, I think, number four that she's written. Wow. So, yeah, she's like cranking them out and they're like these books that you need tissues when you're reading because they're tear jerkers. So they're Aww. you guys might need to meet each other. I mean, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to actually so write
1: down. I'm writing down her name right now and I'm going to look
0: for it. I guess they're on Amazon, I hope. Yes, they are. Good.
1: All right. Cool. I will look her up.
0: And Great. definitely you guys have a lot in common, too, because she's a teacher as well. Ah, so, (laughs) so what do you teach? I, at this
1: point in my life, I teach college theater and, um, it's, it's like coming home. I mean, it's really what I was always meant to teach. When I first started teaching in the seventies, I was teaching English. I got certified in English as well as, you know, theater because you had to, had a job. You couldn't just teach theater. Nowadays, there are more full-time teaching positions for theater because we've evolved as far as kids getting involved in theater and people really recognize how important it is, whether they pursue it or not. It's just as personal growth and self-confidence and learning so many skills that you learn in the the theater situation that translates in no matter what you do with your life. But anyway, I was doing um, English and I was directing the plays, you know, in the afternoon and teaching electives on creative writing and so forth. Uh, I think I had a poetry class, I had a Shakespeare class, things like that. And then I decided to get my master's degree in education and I went toward counseling psychology. And then I became a guidance counselor for a while. And I really loved that too. Um, Then I worked for about a decade full time as an actor and a director. And then I, came back to teaching. It's always been my first love. So, um, I ended up at a performing arts program, high school program, which fit me perfectly. I didn't have to go back to English. I didn't have to go back to counseling, although I was quite happy thinking not doing counseling, but I I was meant to be in theater. I still do a lot of counseling. And and then um, when I decided it was time to retire, I ended up at Rowan University, which is where I did my undergraduate. And I um, I teach uh, experiencing acting to non-theater majors, which is really a lot of fun. A lot of them have never done any acting at all. And then I also teach a course that I developed for theater majors who think they wanna teach theater. And we have a master's program that they can go into after um, they finish their bachelor's. Uh, it's a one-year program and you can get your master's of science in teaching theater. So anyway, I teach the introductory course to that while they're still undergrads. uh, And it's called Intro to Theater Education. So I'm helping them to learn how to teach
0: acting. So do you think you get some inspiration about your books through the students that you teach?
1: I definitely get great names. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think. Yes, sometimes not. I haven't had any major characters, but I've had some minor characters. These spinoffs from students that I've had, uh, especially in the short story collection, because I had to come up with—I don't know how many stories are in Eastern Shore Shorts, nine or ten. It was a lot of stories, and I was used to writing a long, you know, involved process. I had to cut it all down and get it to happen, you know, in ten different stories. So I was borrowing people from all over the place. <laughs> but I, I did definitely um, use a couple students as uh, as inspiration. Like my water my water woman in Water Woman, I named after a, a student that I loved who, who was very um, uh, confident. You know, there was confidence about her that she could go out on the water and do a man's job, that kind of thing. And um, also I have a really close friend from high school and college. We were college roommates. We're still very close. She and her family just have the best stories. They do interesting things. They do funny things. I borrow stuff from her all the time. <laughs> 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 her dad was a World War II um, fighter pilot and he's still alive. He's 96. He's oh, just wow. fabulous. So um, in Eastern Shore Shorts, I borrowed uh his character for, for the 90-year-old, her husband, Stan, his whole World War II experience I borrowed from my best friend's dad and put it into the put it into the novel. And I had one editor who said, you have to cut this down. It's too much. And I'm like, oh, I have real trouble giving this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have to listen to good advice. Um, yeah, so my friend Pat, I borrow things from her all the time.
0: Now, Sandy has another question. Okay. She says, do you think it's easier to write a short story, novel, or play? Wow.
1: That so depends on the writer. For me, I always see everything. It's kind of like a film or a play. So probably uh, writing a play is is easier. I don't know if easy is the right word, but it might flow faster. I write dialogue right away because I think and work as a director and an actor. So I would say plays. Um, then I have to fill in, you know, the the environment and, and the, the description and people's, what they look like and how they move. I, gotta, I have to tell all that. Uh, hopefully I still show it and don't tell it because, you know, we're not supposed to as writers but but I have to communicate it where if an actor were doing it you know we see them mm-hmm. so that's that's the uh the bit about that and I wrote Eastern Shore shorts in a year and I and mm, I know that my novels have taken longer they usually take a year or two years uh yeah So I could write the collection of short stories in a year. So maybe that maybe that seems easier, or at least smoother.
0: Then we have we have another comment. It says, "I'm loving this interview. I'm 54 and dusting off the books I've started. Also, I've taught a college theater course as an adjunct and loved on stage. Love how stories can come to life on a page and on stages."
1: That's so cool, Lisa. Very neat where is she from where i wonder where she teaches
0: she is she's from illinois the illinois area okay good and sandy is located in north carolina i know these two ladies so um you mentioned that you were a guidance counselor does that give you some kind of more in depth for your characters of being able to figure out the way they feel the way they feel does that help you out since you have that background absolutely it, it, it's helped everything
1: that I do. It's helped me with teaching. It's helped me with being an actor, being a director, and definitely my writing. Um, I, have a, I have a novella that's free on my um, website. And the whole idea came from a student that I had many, many years ago, um, uh, that w- I was this counselor. And um, his father committed suicide. Uh, and this was so long ago that, and I make no reference to the person, no one would ever know who this was, but it was a huge impact, you know, on all of us and and on me. And I, I always had it tucked away. So, um, the story is called a Collingswood Christmas because I placed it in my hometown where I grew up. That's not where the student is from. I wasn't teaching there. But I decided to put it there and make it very familiar. And I thought it would be a good marketing tool uh, because it's a historic town. But um, I decided to make this this student a young adult and make it a female. But the story is told from the guidance counselor's point of view, who's a man, a young man, You know, they're in their late twenties, early thirties. And they went to high school together. And so he's remembering the incident of this character, the, girl, the young woman's dad, killing her, killing himself when she was in school. And they crossed paths again because of a class reunion and, you know, romance sparks. Um, <laughs> so I love it. It's a sweet story. But that all came from the student way back. And I just changed things, you know, so it's there's no way to tell who it is. But that that was a huge event to try to process for a kid mm. <laughs> Can you set that
0: free on your website
1: uh-huh yeah you go to www.galepriest.com and across the header you know you have choices to look at my books read about me my blog not that i blog much i really admire you for your consistent blogging i don't <laughs> just not there <laughs>
0: Um, But there's another choice with uh, free novella, so you can check that out. I'm definitely going to have to check that one out because I did not even know it was there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I tend to try to send people there after they sign up for my newsletter, um, you know, and say, hey, here's a free something for you. But you really can get it without signing up for my newsletter. (laughs) But those things we do, you know, the marketing things that that's the thing that all the any authors that are listening right now, I had no idea how much I had to learn about marketing. That is a huge chunk of promoting your books and moving ahead. So, So,
0: Did you self-publish any of your books? Are they all with publishers?
1: uh, They're really with publishers. The, The third book in the trilogy, um, Tadra and uh Mandy had um decided to stop publishing they were they were hasten publishing a wonderful uh small independent publisher and they published the first two books and they had stopped publishing by the time I got moonrise done. but I talked to them, and they were still you know we were always helping each other, but they helped me a lot more than I helped them I think <laughs> um and I asked Tadra. I said, can we still put an under hasten so that it looks, you know, uniform? Mm-hmm. And she said, yes. So technically, I guess that was self-published, but I had a lot of help um, from the same people that published the other two. And then my short stories were with um, Cat and Mouse Press in Delaware, in Rehoboth, Delaware. And they're a small husband and wife um, team, and they're uh, they specialize in short story collections. That's what they do. So right now, I'm with Soul Dancing, the new one. I'm, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not ready to publish it. I'm trying to see if I can land an agent this time. See if I can get a little bit bigger publishing company. And if those things don't fall in place after a certain amount of time, then I will, you know,
0: self-publish. Now let's talk about the agony, because agony, I've known a lot of writers. That have talked about trying to find a publisher. You know. Mm-hmm. Where do you go? How do you go about doing that? How do you go about finding a publisher? And you talked about a literary agent and stuff. So yeah, the route
1: I'm going right now is a literary agent. So I do a lot of reading and a lot of research. I talk to a lot of people. Um, I talk to other writers. I I look for writers I like in their book, in their acknowledgments. they'll mention their agent. So then I'll go to that agent's agency and search on the website and see which agents would be interested in uh, women's fiction. Uh, and because this new one has a paranormal twist, I mean, it's very minor, but it's still significant. It, it affects everybody's life in the book. Um, so it does have that twist. So I'm trying to find an agent that might be interested in that combination, which is sort of unique. So when I see an agent that looks interesting because they're looking for what I write um, they mention it uh, in the in the on the agency website. They'll have uh, a bio page, and a lot of times they'll talk about what they're looking for. If you follow them on Twitter, they'll mention on tweets what they're looking for now, because sometimes that'll change. They'll have enough young adult, and they're not looking for young adult right now. They're looking for, um, you know, science fiction or whatever it might be, or romance. And then sometimes you can just find different uh, publications where they've been interviewed and they talk about what they'd like. So it, it requires a lot of research. Now there are publishers that don't require an agent. They don't need the gatekeeper. And that will be my next step. If I can't land an agent, then I will try um, more publishing houses that are small press and they're, you know, looking for women's fiction. So then I'll start sending query letters to them And then ultimately I will self-publish if I have to and I'll get all my friends to help. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to cast the net a little further, see what happens. But it is, it's not easy. You know, I get those rejections and you feel like, oh, oh, you know, who's going to ever like this book? But you just try to keep the faith. And um, remember that I think J.K. Rowling had well over 100 queries before anybody looked at Harry Potter and it was taken home by mistake. It wasn't even supposed to have been read. It ended up in the wrong pile and the right person read it and they loved it. And there you go. And all before that, people were, no, no, nobody's interested in this stuff.
0: And, um, but they were. (laughs) I think you answered this question. Lisa said, how do you determine your, how did you determine your publisher? Yeah. Well, I was lucky. Um,
1: Tadra had just started Pace and Publishing with Mandy. They wanted to help independent authors to publish with guidance,
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: editing, helping you with the story edit, getting rid of things that are off topic, keeping the, the plot moving properly, um, helping you with um, the book covers, helping you with, and at that point, you know, the um, blog, what are they called? You'll be able to tell me, Melissa, but it's gone out of my head, the blog tours. Uh-huh. Yeah, they were very hot at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, then they became less hot, but now that we're in a pandemic, they're hot again. So they mentor all of that. Um, a small press will, will do as much as they can to help you. And those women were wonderful. And uh, so I was lucky that I already had a friendship with Todra and then Cat and Mouse Press found me and I really like them, uh, the Sakaduskys, Joe and Nancy. Um, I like their collection of short stories, their other collections. i read a lot of their work and we had become friendly over Facebook and we met at a writing conference, you know, and just one thing sort of leads to another. So everybody tells me, because I haven't worked with an agent yet, and in this agent search, they have to have the right chemistry with you. It's, a, it's really a relationship. It's kind of like a marriage. Mm-hmm. You have to click. So I feel I feel some anxiety about that. <laughs> I want the right person to come along. So we'll see what happens. Just hang in there.
0: Okay, we have some more comments. Lisa said you are a gift Gail, and I totally agree. Aww. Thank you. Sandy said, yay, I'm online and your novel, your novella is right there on your site. Can't wait to dig in after this interview. So you've already sent at least one person to the site. Good. Great. And I did not know this. Did you know the same was true about the notebook by Nicholas Sparks? That it was ended up in the wrong part, you know. No, I didn't know that. And think about it. It's a huge movie now. I mean, really. Great. Yeah, great story. It, it's amazing how things
1: happen. You know, there's there's uh, providence moves, too. You know, there's, you start to try something, and once you put the energy into it, the right things start shifting, I think.
0: So walk me through when you first started writing how you were going to um how you dealt with first i know you had to have rejections when you first started writing how did you deal with that because i know there's a lot of people that are viewing that maybe are thinking about writing but they're not quite sure because they're afraid of rejection how do you deal with that
1: yeah i'll tell you it's not easy i'm going to be honest with you um i don't know who said this quote i can't remember but it's so true i think writing you know how does it go Expecting to write without rejection is like expecting to not get hit if you're a prize fighter. You're going to get punched. Well, my story is, well, I'm not a punch. I'm not, a, I'm not punching and I don't want to be a, a fighter. <laughs> not how I function, mm-hmm. but nevertheless. So, you know, I was an actor, an unemployed actor for years. Auditions and auditions and auditions, you know. And then once in a while I'd get a job and it was wonderful. But, you know, auditioning is what you do mostly and you mostly get turned down because you don't know there are a million factors uh, involved in that process. So I think because I already went through that for a decade and really more, if you consider all the part time acting I did, that kind of toughened me up. Um, But I still get down about it. It's it's. It's not, I don't bounce right back as fast as I'd like to. I don't, you know what, Melissa, I don't, Here's what I don't do, I, sit, I don't sit around and feel sorry about it. When it initially happens, I tell my husband, got another rejection. And then I kind of go about my business. But subconsciously, here comes the counselor. <laughs> I can see myself not sending out queries for a little while. I, I Even though it's not a conscious, oh, I feel terrible, I'm all down. No, I don't do that. I, I dust myself off and pull, up my, pull myself up by the bootstraps and, and go forward. But I'll go forward on something else. I'll be focusing on my teaching. or I'll be focusing on marketing the books I've already published. And I'll find myself, a couple weeks have gone by, and I haven't sent any queries out for soul dancing. Well, this book is not going to happen if I don't make myself get back there and query so right before this interview, I was tidying up my query letter because I have to get back to it next week. Once I get a couple of days of school under my belt, um, then I have to make time for that. And that's what's going to happen. So you just keep pushing. But it's not easy. I know there's some people that get really, really sensitive and upset and they're just going to be a mess. So you have to try to find not a way not to do that. Then there are other people that just really don't care and they move forward right away and I so admire them. But for me, I find that it works in the back of my head and I have to pay attention to that and not let it mess me up, get me off track.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's something else. I mean, because honestly, I can just imagine, you know, you it's your heart and soul. It's like almost your child and you oh, give birth yeah. to it and then you see so much in it and they're like, No. Mm-hmm. Doesn't pass. Do yep. they ever tell you why it just, or Are they just not interested?
1: Once in a while, they'll say something. Uh, generally, not. I haven't got any big specific notes except one thing. I'm trying to remember with uh, soul dancing because this is the one that I'm. I've really been out there querying. The other ones kind of happened without doing query letters. Um. I had one one agent tell me that there was a very fascinating concept and I guess she had read the first 10 pages and she just couldn't connect to the character emotionally. So I sat down with an editor who's someone that I hire on my own. It's nothing to do with the publishing editor because eventually there'll be another editor who's telling you what you need to change again. But I sat down with her and, uh, Said, what's what's going on with these first ten pages? So she helped me clean it up, and so now maybe there's more of a connection. I hope, at least for somebody. We'll see.
0: <laughs> it's got to be hard when you have some when you write like you wrote about the short story with the 90 year old World War II veteran, and people say, no, you've got to cut this. It's, yeah, that has
1: to be trimmed. That that's from um, that's from Soul Dancing. That's the book that I. My, my editor helped me with that. Um, that was one of her notes. She said, it's just too much information. And I'm like, oh, but it's so interesting. But it's not interesting to everybody. So I did trim it. I did. I don't think I cut it as much as she'd like me to. But I feel like when I get to the point where I'm actually publishing it, hopefully with a publisher, whether it's a big publisher with an agent or a small press, doesn't matter, long as I get somewhere with it, i um, they're gonna look at that section and they're gonna have an opinion too. So, I mean, between before I worked with this editor um, and now the document I have ready to send out when someone requests the full manuscript, I cut it, I cut eight or 9,000 words. I really trimmed it, yeah. She had a lot of stuff that she thought I didn't need. I restate things, you know, get rid of it, get rid of it.
0: Uh, really,
1: I, I have to tell you, though, about editing, Chris, if you don't mind. Go this ahead. great go ahead. story. This editor that I hired was the person that I hired back in 2011 or 12 when I had the first Annie Cronell book finished, and I, I didn't know what to do. No, Todd and I hadn't reconnected yet, so I really didn't know what my next step was, except that I had this big, long book. <laughs> and... Another author, uh, Rachel Simon, wonderful woman, she wrote uh, Riding the Bus with My Sister that became the television movie with Annie McDowell and um, Rosie, uh, what's Rosie McDonald, yeah, (laughs) and she wrote, she's written several beautiful novels. Anyway, she's a very lovely woman. that I have the fortune of knowing. And I wrote to her and I said, what do I do now? And she said, talk to my editor, because she uses this woman too. So, anyway, one of the notes in the original storyline of Annie Crowe Sunrise, Annie's husband dies rather than divorces. So, Drew died in the beginning. And Anne Dubesant, du- du who's the editor, she said, no, D- make it a divorce. Don't kill him. <laughs> and I'm like, ah! You know, but I, I really was into her grieving process. I felt like I had really nailed that. She goes, save it for another book. So I molded it over and I grew I agreed with her. So I it became much more, much better conflict that they had problems.
0: Then I had to go back
1: and kind of hint at the problems in the early relationship. And um so, Drew Drew ends up not dying. They end up breaking up. He ends up going wherever he goes. I don't want to tell you too much because I want you to read, people to read the books. But he was alive to come back in book three and raise all kinds of trouble. And I, I was like, thank you for not killing Drew. <laughs> because he is a huge issue in book three, in Moonrise. He's just a big pain in the butt. And... um I wouldn't have had any of that conflict if the girl's grandfather hadn't still been alive. So, really worked out well. So, listen to your editor.
0: <laughs> now, here's a question from Lisa How do you come up with your titles?
1: Okay, wow. All right, well, the first book, Annie Crone Knoll, hmm, we were renting cottages on a property that's called Evergreen Knoll. It's a hill that goes down to the bay at the headwaters of Chesapeake where the Tass Rus River comes in. So somehow or another, I had decided that Annie's name was Annie. I don't know why, she probably just told me. My characters talk to me a lot. I, I just have to listen and they tell me what, what's going on. And sometimes I don't agree with them, but I have to pay attention to them and listen. Well, then there was a road down in Rock Hall, which isn't far from where Evergreen Knoll is. And we were driving down there one day, and there was a road sign that said, Annie Crow Road. And I was just at the beginnings of writing this novel. And I went, oh, how cool. I love birds. There are tons of birds around here. I'm a birder. What if Annie has a pet crow when she's little? And her nickname is Annie Crow. There you go. So that happened. Then as it was developing she ends up inheriting the the cottages at a very young age and having to hold on to them. Um, And it's not easy, financially or emotionally, to pull this off. So I had her best friend, Grace, decide that the place should be named for Annie Crow. So she named it Annie Crow Knoll because it's the property with the hill going down to the water. So then when it became three books, I didn't expect that. I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't plan it. it; just happened. I thought, well, what the heck? What am I going to name these books? So, so much of the passage of time and nature, and and you know, you go out, you watch the sunrise, you watch the sunset, you watch the moon rise. I mean, when we were renting there, we would take our kayaks out at almost every full moon rise during the summer. We'd go out in our kayaks, watch the sunset in the in the west, and then we just turn our paddles around and watch the moon come up over the cliffs down upriver. And, uh, you know, it's just like, well, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be sunrise, sunset, moonrise. So that's how that happened. Eastern Shore Shorts was the publisher's idea because they specialize in short stories. They first wanted it to be Delmarva Shorts because they wanted me to include Delaware in in the towns. But they definitely wanted the Eastern Shore because they wanted to expand in that area. They hadn't had short stories placed there at all. They were all in Delaware and Virginia and Cape May, New Jersey, you know, that whole area. And I said to Nancy, well, Eastern Shore Shorts sounds a lot cuter than Delmarva Shorts. Eastern Shore Shorts, it rolls off the punch. You you got it. Forget Delaware. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Soul Dancing... Uh, that, that title changed a million times. My husband would say, would tease me, formerly known as, <laughs> you know, and I, I still don't know if Soul Dancing is the final title, but it's been that title for a while. So we'll see. But I initially I was thinking about soulmates and whether Charlene, the 90-year-old woman, is her soulmate truly her husband, Stan, who she, she spent 70 years with? I mean, they got married really young during World War II. And it's present time, so she's 90. Or is her soulmate really Cameron, the young man that she falls in love with when she's in the 20-year-old body? So originally it was called Soulmates, but there are a lot of books called Soulmates. I started, search titles, you know, go online and look under women's fiction or science fiction or whatever you're writing, romance, and see if they're you know, 10 other books with the title you're thinking you want, that's not necessarily good. You want your title to stand out. So then it changed 15 other things and now it's landed on soul dancing.
0: We have another one, Lisa, saying trilogy titles. Love the story behind them. Thanks for sharing. And I love the title S- Soul Dancing. I oh, go good. Oh, good. So maybe it'll I, be a keeper. I, I hope it's a keeper. I mean, unless a publisher
1: can really you know convince me we should name it something else but i i like soul dancing
0: yeah so has COVID pushed you into writing more or no um let's see what has COVID
1: pushed me into eating too much <laughs> <laughs> i got the COVID 15 or 20 going here i got a really well i, I have changed it was the first two months so you know, so much anxiety that I really was nuts. I was eating constantly. So I'm trying to I am in better control. But God, you know, it's just emotional eating. It's I figure it's better than using drugs or getting drunk. So <laughs> I gotta cope somehow. So it's yeah. like where are the where are the chips? Where's the chocolate? Um, wow, I have to think back. Well, you know, at first in March and probably most of April, I had to figure out how to teach my college courses online. So the, my life was about that. I don't think I was doing anything, but just coping and getting that together. And and as all of us trying to figure out how do we do things without being at risk. So that was pretty much a goner. But by May, um, my husband and I both started, you know. Getting our acts together, we started doing some home projects. Uh, we were eating less, um, exercising more. You know, we sort of just got over that initial trauma, not that it hasn't just gotten worse. I mean, it's just so difficult, but um, and then i then I got back to things, and i I tidied up uh, soul dancing and sent it to the publisher. I mean, not the publisher, the editor, Anne DuBassant. and then she sent it back with all her notes, and then I cut 10,000 words. So I did a lot of writing there, but it was mostly editing, really. I I did write one new scene, a couple new scenes, because when Cameron, the young man, has to try to figure it out by the end so we can have a happy ending, um, I had him doing that three different ways. One was with a therapist, one was with another character, and then the last time is he just does it on his own, but there are certain elements about nature, and they build a labyrinth on the beach, and, you know, things that help him get his act together. Um, oh, and his parents write him a letter from California, and that, that also helps him quite a bit, um, because he had some unresolved things with his folks. So I tidied that all up. So I w- was writing some new scenes for him, but a lot of it was editing. And the other thing I started doing in the last couple months, really actively, was marketing. I, I've I have must I must have 30 ads on Amazon right now for the trilogy. Well, for the first book, what you hope is you get you know people read through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, I took a, a five-day course on Amazon ads, which was really like eight days of Torture. (laughs) Five day Amazon ad challenge. Oh, please. Mm -hmm. No, it was it was very challenging for me. Challenge is the right word. But I worked really all day, every day for at least eight days. And I'm still working on it. Um, Because you need to keep trying if this system works. It's uh, Brian, Brian Cohen. He's on Facebook a lot. If his system really works which I don't know yet if it works. I haven't put enough into it. or given it enough time, but I am really working on ads in a way that I never have before. So that was another huge thing that I was accomplishing this, this summer, but I haven't started writing anything new. I, I definitely feel um, I'm waiting for that to, to come. I don't know what it is. It'll come when it's ready. I have to be patient and trust.
0: Do you think you might have a book that's based during a pandemic, a global pandemic coming out?
1: You know, it's very interesting. In the beginning, I don't know if people were saying the same things, but I I was on a lot of webcasts for marketing with various specialists, you know, established authors, agents, publishers. And they were all saying at that point, do not write a pandemic novel. It's like we're in the middle of it. It, It's not entertaining. It's not a release. It's not an escape. But then John Mayberry, way ahead of the pandemic, had written another fabulous pandemic, a fabulous science fiction uh, horror. That's his genre. Um, And he released it, you know, and it's doing great because he's famous and a great guy and everybody loves him. And he's got his pandemic, whether you want it or not. But uh, I, don't, I don't think so. But who knows where the muse will lead me. I might write another play. I've thought a little bit more about going back to playwriting. We'll see.
0: Wow. It sounds <sighs> like you really have a lot going on besides, you know, like you're writing and then you're professor. And then you're thinking about starting a play. Are you still doing acting or no?
1: No, I haven't. And I, I don't, I mean, I never say never, but I don't miss it.
0: My creative
1: juices are really fulfilled with all these other things. So I I don't pursue acting. I haven't for a long time.
0: So were you on stage or were you? Yeah, mostly on stage. Yeah, I did a little bit. I did a little bit
1: of um, television, a little bit of uh, commercial work. Um, I did some extra work and some stand in work for a couple of films that were shot in the Philadelphia area. Uh, but I did mostly theater. I really love being on stage in front of an audience better than the camera. I'm more comfortable with that.
0: Now, do you think that there's ever a possibility that you could turn your books into a movie or? Definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know what? In fact, I'm glad you brought that up
1: because with between COVID brain and starting school up again, (laughs) my brain is fried. I had forgotten. I Feel very strongly that what I want to do is look into learning how to write a a limited TV series. How do you write that format of a script? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know. But there are places out there where I can learn it. Because I think Soul Dancing would make a very, very good limited series. And I would go back to Annie Crow, too.
0: Mm -hmm. It
1: would be a longer series, but I, I think it would work very well on television.
0: Yeah, honestly, I think so too. Or maybe even Netflix because you know um, mm-hmm. what is that one now? It's the Magnolia, Sweet Magnolias. Yeah, and you've seen that on Netflix. That's a trilogy. That's a I've only seen about, about it, but I haven't seen it. I gotta watch it. Yeah, I'm gonna write it down.
1: <laughs> I have to write everything down now. I can't remember anything. <laughs> In a couple weeks, once I'm into school, I'll, I'll be able to focus better. But right now, I'm, my
0: brain is fried. Uh, sweet Magnolia? Uh-huh. Okay. And Lisa actually commented that she had a hop off, but you have renewed and reminded her of her true pur- purpose and passion, author, visionary, drama storyteller actor. So
1: Not as cheap well, I'll tell you that made my day.
0: And I will tell you guys, actually, this interview came about because Gail contacted me and asked me because she used part of the review that I did in twenty thirteen. What were you doing now for Amazon? Uh, Yes, I was. um, One of the things you learn in the
1: Amazon ad school is how to tidy up your author page. And if things are missing, you know what to do about it. And one of the things I did not have because I didn't know enough back in the very beginning was I didn't have um, editorial reviews for the first two books. By the time I did Moonrise, I knew how to do that. I knew I had to do it and I knew who to ask. And the same thing with um, Eastern Shore Shorts. I had that by then. But in the beginning, I had no idea what anything was. I didn't even know how to use Facebook. Sandra had to get me on Facebook and teach me how to do this stuff, which she did. Angel, that she is. So I wanted to go back and get editorial reviews on um, my Amazon page for Sunrise. So when people see my page, they automatically see some people of weight Mm -hmm. saying, you know, read this book. And you were one of the people that I thought would be perfect because you're really a well-known blogger. And you're someone that people um, feel good about, positive. They trust your taste and that kind of thing. So that's why I reconnected with you and how glad I am.
0: Yeah, and then I was like, well, that's great, but hey, would you want to come on? And she's like, absolutely. (laughs) Yep. I was already dressed for school,
1: did the makeup. I figured, why not? (laughs) I couldn't couldn't do an eyeliner this morning because I hadn't done the eyeliner in, you know, months and months and months. It was like a kid with a crayon, you know?
0: So, Gail, tell everybody where they can find you.
1: Oh, I guess the easiest place is my um, my website, because uh, everything's on there, the www.gailpriest.com. It's very simple, just my name. And I have a Facebook group that Melissa just joined this morning, um, Birds of a Feather. And I show a lot of pictures of birds, but that's because birding and birds are usually a part of my stories. And they always have been even soul dancing. There's, there, there's a little bit of burden, not as much as my other stories, but there is some, um, they're just beautiful creatures and and they're fun and there are so many different kinds. So we do talk about books on there. I do support other authors. I, I suggest books that I've read, let people know when things are being released by other folks. Um, so, you know, check me out on Facebook and, and, Join me on Gail's Birds of a Feather. And the other really helpful thing for me to be in touch with you all is um, my newsletter. And there are, Melissa has the links for all this stuff. And I guess she'll share them somewhere. And you can also find them on my website. Um, and I send out a monthly newsletter, although I didn't send one in August. I just couldn't, couldn't do it. <laughs> the first time I've missed in over a year, but... That's all right. You know, you're only human. You can do what you do.
0: Well, plus you're gearing up to going back to school as well. So that kind of is a whole, whole nother issue behind itself.
1: Right. And having to do it remotely, you know, where if I were going back and teaching in person, I would have had much less prep. But I've had to learn a lot of new things um, that the university has implemented in order to make remote learning. Uh, more accessible and easy to navigate for the kids, which is the right thing to do. It's just we're all in a big learning curve at the university, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, Gail, I want to thank you for joining me today and for chatting about the books. And now I can't wait to go over to your website and download the free novella because that—that okay. sounds so interesting. So I want to thank you for joining me.
1: Good. Oh, thank you. I had a great time, and you're a wonderful interviewer, and you made me feel very comfortable.
0: And when Soul Dancing does come out, I want you back on, and we're going to talk about it when it comes out, because I have every confidence it's going to come out.
1: Oh, thank you, and I'll make sure you get an advanced reader copy so you can review it.
0: All right. Sounds good to
1: me. (laughs) Sounds good, and it was really nice to get those comments from Lisa and Sandy.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, All right, guys. All right. Take care.
0: All right. Bye, guys. See you later. Stay well. Stay, stay safe. Wow. That interview with Gail was so much fun. And if you go over on my Facebook page, you'll see all the people that were commenting. There was a lot of great comments in there. And I honestly had had to give props to Sandy Brandon, who was actually on one of the very first episodes of Chats from the Vlog Cabin as she discussed her books because she was tuning in to learn more that's what i love about blog cabin chats chats from the blog cabin is the fact that people that have been on are tuning in to learn more about their crafts their writing their ways of life their professions they're all tuning in to learn more and how what we're chatting about can help someone else and that's the main reason behind the chats from the blog cabin is i wanted people to Know what it's like to be a writer. Know what it's like to be an organizer of an event. Know what it's like to be in public relations. Know what it's like to run a farm. I mean, I've had a gamut of people on, and I'm still having more on in the next couple of weeks. I mean, this is not going anywhere. I have not run out of ideas yet of what I want to do with this Chats from the Block Cabin. So stay tuned for some more engaging guests. Remember, I have turned these... Sh- Chats from the Blog Cabin to not only this podcast, but you first see them on Facebook Live. And then if you don't have Facebook, you can hop on over to YouTube and type in Chats from the Blog Cabin. And you'll see all the interviews that have come up so far. Maybe not the most current interview because I tried to stage it out a little bit. But they're all on YouTube as well. So you'll be able to see the face behind the voices. Y'all, I'm just very honored and blessed that these people are agreeing to come on with me and when gail said that i am very well known in the blogging world and that as someone that's very authentic and people tend to take what i say um to heart and take my recommendations that really meant a lot to me because that my reputation is everything and i strive for that that's why i'm what you see is what you get with me i'm very upfront i'm very passionate about things i believe in And that really was like full circle. I want to thank you for being part of the Chats in the Vlog Cabin podcast and family. And you know what I need you to do? I need you not to forget to subscribe. Leave a review because that helps me with the rankings. And listen to them. Re-listen. If there's one you like, listen to it several times. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Be blessed. And remember, keep chatting. Hey, y'all. If you know me in real life, you know that what you see is what you get. I'm pretty authentic. But you'll also hear me say how much I love supporting worthwhile causes and people. I feel like support, that's basically where you put your money, is the most powerful tool that the internet has to offer. And it gives you a voice to your dollars. The cool folks at Anchor have made a way for you to support your favorite podcasts, such as Chats from the Blog Cabin. If you're in the U.S., You can visit my podcast profile on desktop or mobile browser to give a little monetary support each month. Whatever you can afford, basically. If you do want to donate, it will be greatly appreciated. So go to my page, Chats from the Blog Cabin. You can find my page at anchor.fm backslash chats from the blog cabin. I'll do my best to pay it forward through content and giving back.